the show for a minute. And this morning, I was plagued with a thought. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to run this question I can by only you. imagine what this is going to produce. Do you think that adults that had to live through the 80s have been negatively changed forever? <laughs> How could you not be? <laughs> right? Like, do you think that the 80s just fucked up all the adults? Yeah, I mean, more specifically, I think Reagan right, fucked right, up yeah, all but the like, adults. Like, just the 80s. Like, everything. 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 Like, the cocaine, the Reagan, <laughs> right. uh-huh. the music, the, the movies. Gulf War, the... Ooh, the Gulf War. Oh, my God. All the wars. All of it. Communism. The wall. <laughs> like, just... The scorpions. The, uh, poison. <laughs> P- poison. Poison. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the band. Po- Brett Michaels. Oh, Brett Michaels will ruin a lot of things. I mean, let's be honest. Um, you no, know, it's just like... I was really sitting and thinking about it. And I'm like, I feel like whenever we do our episodes and we have to talk about the 80s, it's like, well, <laughs> everything really fell to shit in the 80s. Yeah. Because the 80s. But then, like, really great things came from the 80s. Oh, like, that's the thing, too, though. Like, Slayer. Yeah. Slayer came out of the 80s. A lot basically. of great thrash metal came out of the uh, 80s. Death A lot came of, out of gr- amazing new 80s. wave, electronica. There's. I'm not saying that the 80s were all bad. But they came out of kind of desperation to make anything better. Yeah. 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 Like, I think the 80s weren't great. I'm starting (laughs) to think the 80s might not have been that great. Almost as bad as the 2020s, guys. And we're only two years in. (sighs) Welcome to Rock Candy. (laughs) And where everything's bad. Well, not everything. Your weekly podcast bringing us sweet treats from the world of music, tales and stories from artists and musicians and songs that you know and love, or you don't know and love, and we're about to tell you. Well, you're going to love it now, so... You're you're better. Fuck off if you don't. It's not the 80s anymore. We're your hosts, I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And yes, this week, I am bringing, finally, the sequel... That I don't know if anyone asked for, but I definitely asked for <laughs> A continuation for it. of an episode we did a long fucking time ago. And we told you we would Over come three back years around. ago. <laughs> we told Over you we three come, years ago. We would come back around and guess what? Here we are. Here we are. We're here. Have we run out of things to talk about? No. No, we have not. <laughs> we have not. <laughs> we just keep our fucking promises here at Rock Candy Podcast. Yeah. You're welcome, internet. <laughs> Today, I will be regaling you all with the tale of new order yeah yeah you might be like why is this a two-parter why is this a sequel because this is the sequel to joy division you bitches did you not learn anything the first time they might not have listened to it but just in case so if you didn't go go back go back and listen to joy division (laughs) and come back three and a half years and go listen to please don't judge us on like the quality it wasn't as great back then podcast it was the 80s back then it was was we were just high on coke the whole time (laughs) we still are yeah we were just christian bale an american psycho the whole time oh yeah hey you like huey lewis in the news yeah yeah it's a good song (laughs) oh no no we don't do cocaine here we do alcohol Sometimes weed, but eh. sometimes weed, that's but usually you. alcohol. That's just you, not yeah. me. That's like my, my sit down and chill out night where I'm like, I'm gonna just take a nice edible, watch a stupid movie, eat some M&Ms. It's great. Yeah. Great night. But 
the alcohol that we are choosing to accompany us on this journey is from Bee Nectar, <laughs> which is a meadery. Yeah. It's a meadery. And it is a mead with a blueberry and lemon called Blue Lemonade, except the blue is crossed out. So now it's New Wave Lemonade. Okay. It's New Wave Lemonade. And then they wrote a song on the, uh, on the side of it <laughs> to the tune it? of Don't You Want Me Baby. You were working as a maker in the meadery when I met you. The sweet honey you're mixing up, fermenting around, turning into something blue. Aren't, aren't you thirsty? I know I can't believe it when I taste the sweet blueberry. You aren't you thirsty? I don't know. It's not good. It's not. This is not a good trick. <laughs> sorry. I, it's, despite that dis- delightful description, um, no, it's not good. I actually did not <laughs> pick up on the fact that it was to the tune of Don't You Want Me Baby <laughs> until you sang it to me. And I was like, oh, shit. I just read the side. I'm like. Which is clever. I do enjoy that part, but I don't enjoy the actual like, mead. The, the marketing on this is great. Like, the bottle's cute. It's a bee with the fucking mannequin dude sunglasses. Yeah, and like, sweet, like, leather jacket and all the pins. And he looks real cool. But like, and the song is cute. But but they paid more attention to the packaging than they did the actual mead. First of all, let's talk about how they made this with a blueberry concentrate. So it tastes like Welch's fruit juice. It does in it a bad like, way. Like usually, when we say that, it's good because it make it reminds us of getting those um, frozen concentrates. Yeah, and you just lick those like lollipops, and they're fucking delicious. This, this tastes like the shit you got off the shelf, and it was all warm. Yeah. It's like cranberry. It's the cranberry grape. <laughs> you're like, mm, this isn't very good. Ugh. And you know what? It's definitely more cranberry than blueberry, which is weird because it's blueberry. Yeah. And on top of that, they added extra sugar in it, which. It's mead. Why? It's, it's you used honey. literally fermented sugar already because it's honey. You don't need to add more sugar in it. And that. concentrate. Blueberry concentrate. That upsets me. It, it's not good. Do not buy this. I'm finishing it because I bought it. Because you bought it. it. <laughs> and like, it's. It's good enough to finish. Mm-hmm. I think there was only one time we ever couldn't finish anything, and that was that foreign objects beer. <laughs> that was fucking horrible. And of course, I brought it home, and Mike was like, "This is fucking delicious." Yeah, and your like, boy is yeah, an IPA it's, baby. It's your fine. tongue is weird and fucked up. <laughs> your so. tongue's broken. What's <laughs> your tongue's like? broken. So, but yeah, so that's uh, that's the drink for the evening. I even was excited because I'm like, "Oh, it's meat. She can drink it." Nope. That's got so much goddamn sugar in it. That's defeating all of the purposes, which is probably why you thought it was cider and not <laughs> fucking me. Yeah, probably. <sighs> anyway, I think I've bullshitted enough. That's enough about the shitty mead. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Let's go in. Let's talk about New Order. Oh, I don't even know if I have to six degrees of beer this, though, because it was Blue, blue Lemonade. lemonade. Blue, Blue Monday, Monday and then New Wave, New Order. New Order's kind of New Wavy, but like not succinctly New Wavy. Yeah. But they'll like you, good enough. You know, like a little little like like a chocolate covered dipped pretzel of New yeah. Wave. I mean, if you go on Spotify and look at any New Wave playlist, they're gonna be on there. Yeah. Before I get into it, allow me to cite my sources. First, I listen to this podcast. Ha, it's funny how a podcast can reference a podcast, but here we are. <laughs> But it is basically official from the New Order gang. It's called Transmissions, the definitive story of 
The definitive story of Joy Division and New Order is only okay. one season, though, which is really annoying because it goes through all of Joy Division and then like New Order up to Blue Monday. So that, it only really gives you the early years. That's weird. Yeah. Well, I assume they plan on doing a season two because I think they actually have the material. They're just, they haven't done it yet. Interesting. Mm, so my, it's like a New Order sanctioned podcast? Correct. Okay. It's interviews of the band, people around them, other musicians who were budding at that time to, time as well. So mm-hmm. it, it was it, it is really interesting. Totally suggest listening to it. It's only like eight episodes and they're okay. like 40 minutes each. Hmm. It's good. The narrator's a little like, well, I've got the definitive story here. <laughs> like an English like news broad or radio broadcast. Yeah, it's like a little, she's it's a little too like in my face about it. Kind of like she's introducing the Beatles every five seconds. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's fine. It's lovely. Um, I also, because I was so enthralled with his book about Joy Division, read Peter Hook's book, Substance Inside New Order. Mm-hmm. Not as good as the Joy Division one. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, I went into this episode having feelings one way, and I'm kind of having different feelings at this point. But, like, I'm definitely going to have to take you on the journey with me for you to understand. Okay. You remember how, like, excited I was at the end of the Joy Division one. Yeah. It was like, God, they were so... And, and I still, like, I love New Order. Mm-hmm. But, man... Don't love Peter Hook as much as I used to. Oh, Peter. I will say one of my biggest problems with the book Substance is its lack of it. Ha ha. <laughs> no, like there are a lot of chapters where he talks about all the women he plowed. And I'm like, I don't care. I really do not care. And he wrote this book in 2015. So it's not like I'm like, dude, like no one gives a fuck who you fucked anymore. This is not what we came here for yeah like it's the same with the Lita Ford book like I do not give a shit who you fucked yeah like your fuck stories aren't that interesting I mean maybe there are plenty of people who that was interesting to but it's it just like that I want to know about like the band the, the story of the band like don't tell me this is inside New Order and all you're going to talk yeah. about is who you're fucking like, like the sexy parts of this are not what I'm interested in no. anymore no and I don't think anybody our age really like we're kind of any our age and younger not like into who you plowed yeah so yeah you don't need to do that it was a little it was a little much um also i will go into another huge fucking problem i have with this book okay um i am not in love with the way one of the band members gets talked about and it's not bernard because he is a plot means nothing to me but i'll, I'll, I'm I'll, sure I'll let you know it. it'll be more towards the end but i'm gonna let you know i'll go on a rant okay it'll, it'll it'll come and it's gonna come hard oh all over the place everywhere just goosh yeah. goosh 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 surprise 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 come <laughs> all right so i'm not gonna go into any of the band's origins because i have covered it in the joy division episode yeah go listen to that one that's like episode you lazy 26 well, go you listen. might not be lazy you just might I'm be kidding. new <laughs> Ashley's bad cop. I'm good cop. That's how this works. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, but yeah, go back, listen to our Joy Division episode. I think it's episode 26. It's oh, an God. old one. I know that's like 150 episodes Just ago. Just a baby, baby. All right, let's be honest. Most bands stop before they really make their mark, either due to tragedy, burnout, finances, or anything in between. Career-making success is rare to come by for musicians. While Joy Division was on its way up, they only made it to cult status before their active years. And not till later down the road 
would they get the recognition they really deserved. Mm -hmm. When presented with a situation that many don't recover from, the members of Joy Division decided not to call it quits, but instead evolve from their original sound and once again pioneer a musical movement that would change the faces of rock and pop forever. Lofty. Oh, uh-huh. Got a lot to live up for up to right now. I mean, they do though. <laughs> I mean, come on, Blue Monday. <laughs> Need I say more? But or- Blue Monday orgy would agree with me. <laughs> they would, <laughs> and then they'd ruin it. But also, that was really good too. <laughs> <sighs> we just talked about how we have such soft spots in our hearts for the orgy cover of Blue Monday. It's and not I- good. It's but- not great. But like at this point, it's part of my childhood, and I have to love it. Yep. It's, it's like, like Jinko jeans. We have to love like them. It's like Jinko jeans. It's also like, you know, the brother that you hate, but also oh my God, but he's, he's your, your brother, brother, so you love him. Orgies are brother. And like when you first <laughs> see them again after a long time, you're like, "Oh my god, I love you. But you're after great." After 5 minutes, then you're after like, 5 minutes, like I remember why I fucking hate you. This is why it's been 8 years since we've seen each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's the orgy cover of Blue Monday. <laughs> great. Accurate. It was the morning of May 18th, 1980. The boys of Joy Division were preparing to embark on their first ever U.S. tour. They had been looking forward to this, knowing it meant bigger things on the horizon for them. Phone calls were made, alerting Bernard, Peter, and Stephen of the life-altering news. Their lead singer and dear friend Ian Curtis had committed suicide. All sorts of shockwaves overtook the band. The sudden loss of a good friend... The loss of their musical leader? What would happen to them? Is there a next step? Could they still manage success? And it wasn't long at all before Ian died that the boys were together and they made the decision that if someone were to leave the band for whatever reason, Joy Division's done. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, no more Joy Division. They decided that before he passed away? Correct. Okay. Despite Ian being the arguable heart of the band and the rest feeling pretty awkward going on without him they still would gather and play and jam and just still try to make something so the u.s tour didn't happen oh no of course no no okay much of this is in thanks to their manager rob gretton and co-owner of factory records their label tony wilson they did not want the trio to sit around and let their talents go to waste rob specifically would repeatedly tell them to write another song because it could be like the next best song that they write just keep writing just keep playing just keep going now remind me was ian a big part of the songwriting process ian was the he like, was the... he was like the musical oh. like guru so literally kind of look to him to know what sounded good what worked well Ian was the guy. So literally, like, starting from scratch. He, Yeah, like, he really was the heart of the band. Okay. But they all still had the passion, yeah. you know? And they didn't... They also... it's It was so many things, because, like, they still had the passion. They still wanted to see what they could do. And they also knew, like, they wouldn't... That Ian wouldn't want them to stop. Mm-hmm. He would not, like... He didn't kill himself thinking, man, they'll never be able to do music again. I mean, nobody does that anyway. Right. That's not That's not the frame of done. mind they're usually in. No, but I mean, also, I'm sure Ian was like, I'm sure they'll go on without me. Yeah, because, yeah, that's usually the mind frame you're in is that everybody won't even notice that I'm gone. Right. Which, Which is, is sad. Sad and not true. And completely untrue. So please don't ever think that. Yeah. He had them continuing to think and behave like musicians so they could keep their footing and return to square one ready to work. Rob was just 
diligent like that for them. Mm-hmm. Around this time, Joy Division's most famous song, Love Will Tear Us Apart, and their second LP, Closer, both came out to much critical praise and excitement from fans. And contrary to what you might think, this actually struck down a lot of their confidence. <laughs> what? Yeah, like Ian left a pretty oh. big hole in their lives. Yeah. Without him, they didn't believe that they had what it takes to make as good as music as what they were making before. So and then, that was his music that was getting such praise. Right, like that was the music they did with Ian. And they're like, fuck, like Ian was the guy. Yeah. How can we ever do better than this? Exactly. They're like, we're shit. We're never going to be able to do this. They were super Mm. insecure at this time. That sucks. I know. Dynamics would understandably change drastically for the former Joy Division. Without a lead singer, much of what they were creating was just instrumental parts, and they weren't really sure where to go with them. They just made these instrumentals. Mm -hmm. Some suggestions and ideas of potential new singers were being thrown around, but nothing really came to fruition from those. Ultimately, they decided there was really only one thing they could do. Basically have one of the current trio step up to sing. Oh. So somebody between Bernard, Peter, and Steven had to come up and start singing. Let me guess. None of them wanted to. Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, initially, all three of them would just take turns singing. Mm -hmm. That seemed like the fairest way at first. But... They knew in the long run it really just had to be one person in order to avoid confusion and keep the sound from straying too much like song to song. Yeah. Ultimately, they had something of a what they called a, quote, X Factor like audition <laughs> for their producer, Martin Hannett. <laughs> Wait, X means you want them or you don't want them. I've never watched X Factor. Um, I think so if... Oh, if X you do means- the X, you have the X factor, which is a good thing. No, I think if you have right? the X, isn't that a bad thing? Not in this situation. All right, I don't whatever. Know. It wasn't actually the X I don't factor. Know. As long as Simon Cowell isn't like, ugh, then you get through, Yo, basically. They, let me tell you, they would have been better off with Simon Cowell. Oh, no. <laughs> so Martin Hannett had been working very closely with Joy Division the entire time. But his closest relationship was with Ian, and he had a tendency of referring to the band as, quote, one genius and three Manchester United supporters. So needless to say, yeah, he was none too pleased with any of their performances. Does that mean that they were like fucking bros? I mate, Like a sensitive soul and some bros? No, because I think for like England and like. The UK and stuff. Soccer is not like soccer is not like football bros. Like soccer is like just excuse me. Football is not like football bros. <laughs> yeah, football bros is not like fo- football bros. Yeah. Aren't like football bros. Okay, pigskin bros. Oh, gross. <laughs> I mean, no. I feel like over in the UK, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, like soccer guys are just like wild party boys, soccer but not hooligans, like, right? Yeah, but not like bros. Think- like, hey, like check out how big my dick is. It's more like, oi, 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 yeah, go uh, Manchester United, yeah. I'm gonna more, break a bottle on your head. More pints and black eyes, less popped collars and chicken Dicks? wings. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I I I get this now. Right. I got right. It. Right. When it came time to finally record the song Ian had left for them, ceremony. Martin decided to mix all three of their vocals together at the same time to make the best of a bad bunch. (laughs) Sick burn. Yeah, Martin wasn't a nice man. No, clearly not. He's no Bob Rock. Seriously. 
Where's that, your dra- first of all that hair? Your, but also, where's your dragon shirts? Yeah. Where's your dragon bowler? He's missing a lot. Shirts. He's missing a lot over here. <laughs> so Bernard wanted to have one more go with the vocals. He's like, no, I can do this. So Martin placated him and ended up using the tracks for Peter and Steve, leaving the song as a solo for Bernard. So it ended up just being Bernard's vocals. Oh, because he just ended up lovely. using the tracks. It's not bad. No, at all. Actually, they did re-record it later. Oh, later, okay. I think the version yeah, you probably, probably heard is the re-recorded. Okay, well, it's fine. He it's had fine. practice. It's fine. He did. Yes, and then for what it's worth, Stephen was not really keen on becoming the singer. It was more of a toss-up between Peter and Bernard. Okay. And while they would spend a little more time splitting singing responsibilities, it would be Bernard who would ultimately become the lead singer of this iteration of the band. Mm -hmm. And Rob didn't just want to force the boys into making music again, but also performing it. So after a band pulled out of a factory records night at the Beach Club in Manchester, he got them booked to do their first show. I just find it funny that there is a beach club at Manchester, Manchester. England. Yep. Okay. They had to import sand <laughs> from the Caribbean. They wade through the water in sweatpants because it's cold. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Manchester. I love you. I, Manchester's great, but you're not the beach. Beach? Who? Okay. Sure. Who beaches? Uh, who, be- <laughs> who beaches you? But who beaches? Yeah. So they decided to call themselves the No Names just for that night since they declared Joy Vision defunct. Okay. No one had any idea who they were seeing until Bernard, Peter, and Stephen began to set up the stage. And surprise flashed on the faces in the crowd, and the show went off without a hitch. Now that they had the rust off a little and a little that shiny confidence back, they're like, all right. All so right. did they have any discussion as to why they decided to continue going on, even though Ian was not there anymore? Even though they had this pact that they wouldn't continue after anybody left or died or whatever they wouldn't continue as joy division just as joy Division. just as joy division gotcha. the agreement was never that they couldn't do music again it was just that if something happened joy division joy division's the name over. is done exactly like gotcha. all right somebody's out of the band this is no longer joy division now we're going to do something else okay and rob again was the huge catalyst to what kept them going because okay. they might not have been as inclined to try stuff together because they did feel I mean Peter said like they felt kind of weird about it but they also really wanted to do it and mm-hmm. it's that weird thing where you're like I don't know what to do with myself so yeah they fortunately had Rob and Tony really pushing them like just keep playing music mm-hmm. see what happens yeah so that's kind of where that all came about they were determined to get to America their plans were interrupted but they wanted to fulfill their original commitments and continue on the path that they were taking before But since they're not going as Joy Division, they'd have to come up with a new name. Right. It was one night in a pub where a fierce debate erupted between Rob and Steve versus Peter and Bernard. I just imagine a lot of oys and a lot of, (laughs) like, slapping people's pints around. Just a lot of the artful dodger. (laughs) So much. all over. The former vying for the witch doctors of Zimbabwe... What? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, honey, Mm. no. Thank God she didn't go with that one. And then the latter was sticking with the new order of Campuchian rebels. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, they saw that on the title of an article in The Guardian, and they were like, yeah, the new order of Campuchian rebels. Who are... Who? Who? I don't know. 
I'm glad they didn't go with that full name either. Yeah. yeah. Well, Peter and Bernard agreed to shorten the name to just New Order. Are they not merciful? Please, how are these white men so merciful? But still, Stephen and count Ro- the ways. I'm sorry. <laughs> one. One. There's one way. One. 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 <laughs> still, Stephen and Rob said it was shit. The standoff ended when threats of leaving the band were thrown around. So, guys, they went with New Order. Guys. This is not that serious. None of the names are that great, but I <laughs> They're mean... They're not that great, but yeah. like, out of a bad bunch, New Order's the best one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> this doesn't look great. The name, name New Order's not great. Uh, just because of the former context that it came from? Or... Yeah. Oh, like, and also because it's kind of fascist sounding? Well, yes. Because yeah. unlike last time... They genuinely were not trying to make up some edgy name to upset their grandmas. They really uh-huh. just weren't even thinking about it. Uh-huh. They were reading the cover of a newspaper and were like, this sounds cool. We need a fucking name. Right. We need it now. They're about to go to America. They need a name. I need a name. And I need it now. They should have called J.G. Wentworth. <laughs> J.G. Wentworth. <laughs> I don't know anything about, do you want your name to be money? 877, name now. <laughs> All right. Well, this time they were just really dumb 20 somethings who did not realize that it had connotations with Hitler's ideals. 100 percent it did. Yeah. Like Peter Hook even says in the book, he's like, we didn't read Mein Kampf. We had a fucking idea. Of course. I mean, when you're just some fucking kids at a fucking pub yeah, in like Manchester, just, like trying to find 20s. a name for your goddamn band that you had to just rise you had to phoenix out of the literal ashes of the previous band and you're still dealing with the trauma of your friend dying i mean are you really thinking about hitler <laughs> i hope not really <laughs> not i really hope not <laughs> that's the last thing you should be thinking about yeah, yeah i get it i get it guys same Unfortunately for them, doing this twice in a row gave people the impression that it was no accident, and for decades they would always be asked about their Nazi-leaning past. I forgot that Joy Division had connotations. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Funny. Yeah. Interesting. I also really like... Controversial. Because, like, in their accent, it's like, Nazi. They, na- they ask us about a Nazi-leaning past, Nazi. and I'm like, like Nazi. Like I know, like I, like, I like that Nazi. <laughs> With their new name, off they went to the States. They did just a brief stint in New York City, where an array of interesting things happened. Oh, as they always do. For example, they became mortal enemies with The Clash. Peter chalks us up- In New York City? Yeah, they were performing together. New York City? (laughs) Yes. Peter chalks us up to The Clash being Cockney and New Order being (laughs) Manx from Manchester. You're in New York, doesn't fucking matter. It apparently very much mattered to them, so they'd play pranks on each other all the time. I love it when bands play pranks on each they other. They all were like, oh, fuck off. I fuck off, you man. Fuck like, off, you cockney bastard. I live for a story when there's two bands that hate each other, and instead of just beating the shit out of each other, they just like glue <laughs> each other's each other. asses to the toilet yeah. seat. Yep. <laughs> Replace their fucking lube with like super glue or something. I That's love it. I love cruel. it. That is horribly cruel. But people do it, I assume. I don't know. I've never had it done to me. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. But admittedly worse than that was when their van full of their gear was stolen. By the clash? No. Oh. 
maybe. No, no, it was not. Now they had their true New York welcome wagon, complete with a police force that shrugged upon getting the report saying they'd try to find it, but probably not. Mm. And hold your breath, asshole. (laughs) They managed to finish up their shows with gear they bought on the company card, and they still showed how green they were when Peter accidentally bought a baritone bass. And then all three of them had to relearn their songs on brand new foreign equipment because they were like so used to their like old shitty equipment that it was like a little bit of a learning curve. They had to learn the, what is it, the empiric system? Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Because all of their old gear is in the metric system. You mean the right way? Yeah. You know, the one that makes the most sense. But yeah. yeah. No, we'll, we'll continue on our measurements made by a king's foot. That makes sense. Sure. Fortunately, right before they went back, their van was found. I mean, everything was still gone except for the transformer and a pair of skis that Bernard bought. But still, (laughs) it was still considered a success. I mean, at least they got the van. Yeah. And the transformer is like hella fucking expensive. So. And the skis. You can't go to America without having skis. No, no. Bernard bought them in America. Right. But like. Those are valuable. Sure. Priceless. Priceless skis. In case he has to go to Aspen. Good job, Barney. (laughs) After this adventure, they began to realize they were in need of one more thing. With Bernard having difficulty playing and singing at the same time, and I feel you, bro, that's fucking... I can't do that shit. Are you kidding me? They needed to bring in someone to take over for guitar and keyboard. Rob suggested a known entity to the group, Jillian Gilbert. Jill was born in Manchester, but moved to Cheshire when she was young. She was forever changed when, as a teenager, she saw Susie and the Banshees perform on TV. Which weren't we all. Weren't we all. (laughs) Even in our late 30s. Still inspired. She was also inspired by the likes of Gay Advert, bassist of the Adverts. Seeing all these women with equal or greater status than their male counterparts lit a fire for Jill. Mm -hmm. And she ended up learning how to play guitar from her uncle. Not long after that, she moved back to Manchester and joined an all-female punk band called The Inadequates in the late 70s. Through the sheer misfortune of none of them owning a car, they ended up becoming good friends with their rehearsal space neighbors, Joy Division. Oh. They asked if one of the guys could give them a ride, and they agreed to do it if they bought one of their singles off them. (laughs) They obliged, but were pretty Shania Twain about the results, because it was one of, like, the first singles that was pressed poorly. Oh, no. And they're like, this doesn't sound very good. What are these guys going to (laughs) do? Like, listening to a warped uh, record. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't great. Love, love will tear us apart. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sometimes I like listening to Warped Records. It's fine. It's hilarious. When you're drunk or high, it's pretty funny. It really is. Or listening to like uh, an LP on like a 45 speed. Oh my God. When it goes really (laughs) fast. (laughs) Like really slowed it so it's terrifying. Oh my God. That's good tip. That's how you can make a really spooky playlist. Just put your record player on the slow speed and play a regular record and it sounds super spooky. No matter what you put on there. Break glass in the background. That's how you have a haunted (laughs) house. You're welcome. And just like go outside and scream a little bit. Yeah. Perfect. Oh my god, we did it. Yeah. They still formed a friendship with this band and uh, more importantly, a romance blossomed between Jillian and Steven. Ooh. Throughout Joy Division's time, there were actually a few shows where they needed to bring someone in and cover the guitar, so they would actually bring Jillian on. 
She was on the same level as them as far as skill and experience went and knew the songs, so it just made perfect sense. There you go. So when Rob threw her name in the ring, it once again made perfect sense to bring her on. And one could argue the fact that they never brought on an entity that was entirely new to the group helps New Order reach the success they would soon. I was just going to say, it helps them become an actual different band than Joy Division. Right. That definitely helped as well. Um, However, it was a bit of a shaky start. As they continued to play gigs, despite now being called New Order, they were still getting labeled as Joy Division. Yeah. As one would expect. Yeah. Throw on top of that, Bernard still adjusting into his role as lead singer like a baby giraffe taking its first steps. Shaky, to say the least. He gets great. Yeah. But his start was shaky. Yeah. And Jillian still needed to develop her skills a little bit more on keyboard. So, I mean, overall, it was just a little rough at first. And there was also the issue of the music. New Order still has that dark, desolate sound that Joy Division had, but these songs had synths and like kind of like a dancier beat Mm -hmm. that arguably crowds weren't really ready for at this point. I mean, it's still only 1980. And, oh yeah, they only really had enough music for a 20-minute set. Oh. (laughs) If they down or refused, they would not play Joy Division songs. Right. So all they had were like six songs and like... Well, that's it then. I guess we're going to go. And people are like, wait, are you, that was 20 fucking minutes. I hope they're not headlining. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes on bikes. It took some time, but they would begin to get new fans. People who may not have really liked or listened to Joy Division or just genuinely enjoyed their evolving sound. In the spring of 81, New Order went to work on their first album under their new name. They continued to work with Martin and if it wasn't obvious how much he disliked the group without Ian before, it was completely blatant now. Dude, like, this, what is your damage? I think it was drugs. Or alcohol. I'm not going to blame it on any of that. I'm going to blame it on him, All sir. Right. All right. Martin didn't sound like a nice guy. <laughs> The sessions were fraught with tension as Martin forced everyone to do their parts over and over until he was fine with what he heard. And he would rarely tell them that they actually sounded good. Mostly he kept to himself in the tape storage room, listening to what they were playing. And he said he'd come out if he heard anything good. But according to the band, he never came out. And sometimes he would just leave and not tell them that he left. He was just snorting coke the whole time. Probably. Probably. Dude. Now, they liken it to an abusive relationship and realize they probably shouldn't have worked with him. They were already quite unsure of themselves, and here they are, paying a guy who was supposed to make them sound good, but all he did was berate them. Mm -hmm. Perhaps he didn't like how they took this chance to experiment. Stephen made the conscious decision to play his drums differently than he did in Joy Division, as well as starting to try out electronic percussion. Mm Mm-hmm. Peter's bass really became more of a melodic device in New Order. The heavy predominant sound of bass would be a big thing that makes their music stand out and gives them the unique sound they have. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Martin was big on this. They used this as an opportunity to get some grief out in the music with songs like ICB, standing for Ian Curtis Buried, and The Hymn, about their recently departed friend. Mm -hmm. In November 81, the album Movement would be released. They had mixed feelings on the result. While they were proud of the music they created, they understood that it not only sounds like a transitional album, but the production overall was a bit lackluster. Hmm. <laughs> Wonder why. Mm. 
And the couldn't the critics couldn't agree more with that sentiment. Maybe it's because their producer was just sitting in the storage room doing lines of coke off of like reels of analog tape. It's like this sounds like shit. Still sounds like shit. <laughs> the coke doesn't help. <laughs> Get me more coke though. Yeah. For what it's worth, Joy Division had also just released a retrospective live double album called Still. So this sound was a drastic change that probably no one was really prepared for because they're mm-hmm. still living in Joy Division. Yeah. And it's like immediately it's like, well, Joy Division's gone. This is what you have. And people are like, no, I don't want that. I like I want Joy, more Division. Joy Division. Why what can't you fuck? be Joy Division? Be Joy Division. Why can't you be more like your brother who doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> you, you know, your brother Joy Division never would have done this. Mom, I know, but I'm new order. You have to treat me different. Joy Division would never have played his drums this way. <laughs> How dare you? Never ever speak his name to me. You don't hold a candle to your older brother. Oh my god, this is fucked what a up. Terrible mother. Wow, what a bitch, mom. <laughs> oh, I love it. I hate it. Fortunately, New Order would return to New York City for another short stint, and during that time, they would frequent dance clubs, playing a lot of electronica music that was emerging from the ashes of disco and heading into the house movement that I have talked about on several occasions at this point. If you would like to point. know more about that, listen to our two-parter on disco. Or my episode on Frankie Knuckles. Look, we talk about this shit. Yeah. It's a big fucking deal. They were inspired by this sound and used this as guidance for what direction to head musically. Soon after release of Movement, they put out a single called Everything's Gone Green, a decidedly dancey track clearly influenced by what they were hearing across the pond. Mm. Again, a product of experimentation. One day they discovered the drum machine made a strange like sound when they would plug it into the mixer. Mm-hmm. So they were like, that's kind of cool, though. That's like a cool little, like, beat. And so they would use that to build off for the percussion. Uh-huh. And then, I mean, that's very quintessential, like, beat for New Order songs. Even if you think about the beginning of Blue Monday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People are like, we did not come here to listen to you sing yes, New Wave did. songs. And yes. we're going to say. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. This would also be the last time that they would ever work with Martin. Good. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Tell me how you really feel. He would storm out of the studio after an argument with Peter and Bernard. (laughs) Oh my God. Not enough Coke in here. Leaving. I don't remember if it was Coke that he did, but I feel like he either had like a drug or an alcohol problem. Have fun with your little bitch pants and march out that door. Chant your little bitch, bitch door. Little bitch pants on. Little bitch okay. pudding. <laughs> Blam. Bitch pudding. So they were more than okay to see him leave, of course. At this point, he had taught them how to use the mixer and decided they were just as capable to produce as he was. Probably. So they became their own producer. Probably don't need as much coke either. Not yet. <laughs> That's for later. That's for later. We're only at the beginning of the 80s. (laughs) Not only would they learn mixing, but Stephen and Jillian would learn how to use and program the drum machines and sequencers, which would come to play a very heavy part in the New Order sound. I'm sure. 
It was their single temptation that would get them back on track and bring people on board to becoming a true believer. The single reached number 29 in the UK charts and is a damn bop. Not bad. You know, honestly, there are a lot of New Order songs. I was like, oh, I forgot about this song. Oh, I forgot about this song. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about this song. Yeah. There's like 20 New Order songs. Like, I knew this. I just forgot about it. Or in my case, I'm going to know the song and never have known that it was New Order. Probably. Hmm. Sounds about right. And they weren't the only ones who had been inspired by the New York scene. Their manager, Rob, was lamenting that there wasn't a club scene like the one there is in New York City in Manchester. Uh Uh-huh. So he went to the powers that be at Factory Records and suggested, hey, you should open up a a club. It'd be a great way to make money. And also an opportunity to showcase new artists. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. That's Enter idea. the Hacienda. So the nightclub was, this nightclub venture was mainly funded by the factory. And they would actually give it a factory catalog number of 51. But also heavily backed by New Order themselves. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Were they making that much money? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever but so like so whenever they would play there their performance fee actually would just went right back into the venue yeah they're not even making any money they didn't here make any money on it honey i know honey this would obviously not be the most lucrative thing the no. band could do um i will say peter hook also wrote another book called like Jesus the hacienda Christ. how to not run a club <laughs> so if i mean that's he would know you- if that's going to give you any indication where this is going to go. <laughs> a little bit. The building they used was an old warehouse. And since it was so massive, it contained a dance club, a couple bars, like a cafeteria to eat in. And even at one time, a hair salon for people to get their hair did before they went downstairs to the club. Did they get to live there? I like, mean. Because that's the only way it would be like beneficial to them. Actually, they probably should have. But as far as a live music venue, it actually really wasn't great because it was such like a large warehouse space. Uh-huh. The fucking acoustics were terrible. Of course. Yeah. In general, the Hacienda was kind of a money pit, even at its most successful. However, it would be a place for a lot of famous musicians like the Smiths and Madonna to get their start. Yeah. The, Haci- the Hacienda was the first place Madonna ever performed in the UK. Well, good for her. She did it. She fucking nailed it. (laughs) So did everybody else that helped her do it. Yeah. But for what it's worth, by the mid 80s, it became one of the first British clubs to start playing house music on the regular and was a big instrumental part of the Madchester scene, which was like a big electronic scene back then. Okay. Well, in that sense, it's good. Yeah. I mean, it had a lot of positive... But a lot more negative. <laughs> like, there's a lot of positive. The but you know what? Oh, wow, wowie, wow, wow. But you know what? Always legendary. Yes. <laughs> sure. Are we doing like a Dos Equis thing? <laughs> no, I was just saying it's legendary. Everybody knows its name, I guess. It's Is it Cheers? Yeah. Do you want to go? It's Norm. Oh, okay. It's, norm. it's the Norm of bars. All sure. right. Here we go. The band wouldn't see problems from owning a nightclub until a little later down the road. At this point, they were just still working hard on their music. In 83, they released New Order's second album, Power, Corruption, and Lies. Here, this fared much better 
than their previous release. That's good. They were praised for finally committing themselves to their sound and letting go of their Joy Division roots. I feel like every time I read a fucking review for an album, they said the same fucking thing. Because <laughs> critics are stupid. Yeah. With the parting of ways from Martin, the band took a lot of time to learn how to produce for themselves. This way, they weren't going to have to make compromises for anyone outside the band. Well, you're also not working for a producer that doesn't like your fucking music. Yeah, that doesn't make you perform better. No. Sounds weird, but doesn't work. (laughs) And it doesn't mean the production is going to be any better either. No, no, it doesn't. They brought in engineer Michael Johnson, and he did a lot in terms of helping them learn how to work with all the equipment properly. Mm -hmm. At the time, studios were analog, but this album dealt with a lot of digital, making the process just that much more difficult. Interesting. So it involved massive amounts of tape cutting, as well as Steve and Jill writing out times for the drum machines and sequencers on little pieces of paper, and they would just have tables covered in pieces of paper of like, okay, we need this to happen at this time and this to happen at this time and program it all into the sequencers. That is when my head explodes like the guy on fucking scanners. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, I see it. <laughs> I can see it. Because I'm right there. They were no longer dealing with just creating art, but also mathematics to get their equipment to do what it needed to do. And for New Order, they were almost one and the same. Syncing up beats to create a song required more than a technical mind, but an artistic one to hear like what they could make. So New Order is a truly like a marriage of just this technical, but also creative. Isn't it crazy how New Order for a very long or not New Order, New Wave um, for a very long time was kind of maligned as being like like substanceless yeah and kind of like canned beats and like but just listen to all of the shit that goes into making yeah. a new wave slightly electronic album on analog tape look like that is some fucking dedication and hard fucking work if you want to make the argument nowadays like oh, anybody can make electronic music all right, I can please give that do it to without you. a computer. I was gonna, well beyond that. Yes, you could, but not even everyone can make good electronic music. Yeah, they're making good electronic music on a fucking analog tape by literally taking pieces of tape, analog tape that was in a fucking yeah. cassette, and splitting it and connecting it mm-hmm. and making it all sound good and mold together, and then making sure it's programmed properly in like the sequencers and drum machines so when they do perform it it makes sense and it works yeah yeah despite all the hard work and learning curves involved new order had a lot of fun creating this album they were fairly diligent during the day but at night things could get a bit more devious they would frequently go to clubs get drunk and high and dance in some ways the fun still counted for work because it gave them ideas of things to work on when they got back in the studio. Damn, can I have that job? Right? Like they basically would go to a club, hear the music and say, "I want our fucking music to be what people dance to at the club." Yeah. So then the next day they'd go back into the studio and be like, "Hey, do you remember that song? Or do you remember this? Or how about if we do this? And what if we bring up the beats on this a little bit?" Mm-hmm. Or, "Oh, you know what? This needs a little bit more melody." They would just take inspiration from their lives around them. They were still these kids at heart. It was great. In the end, they expected the music to speak for itself. They hated doing self-promotion in interviews. Peter was especially cheeky, wanting to keep some semblance to his punk roots. 
it made New Order a band that was really hard to categorize. The music was a bit pop, but they didn't want to play ball the way pop stars are expected to. So people never knew what to categorize New Order as. An odd habit that they developed early on was putting out amazing singles around the same time as an album, but not actually putting them on the album. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So, like, Blue Monday, uh-huh. True Faith, um, fuck, like, most of their songs, their big fucking singles that people know, mm-hmm. they just release them separately from the actual albums. And people will then buy the albums, like, where where's the single? But I kind of feel like bands like the Beatles would do that. Oh, yeah. Especially in America, because, like... The same albums that the Beatles put out in the UK were not the same ones that they put Mm-mm. out in the US. Not they in the would beginning. Re- I think their later years they were, but not in the beginning years. After you get to like um, Revolver and mm-hmm. after that, then yeah. yeah, it was pretty much the same. But like when they were first starting up, completely different albums. Oh, yeah. But like some uh, singles that were on this album in the UK would come out on an album like three years later right or they would just be a single in the uk and then they would be on this album in the u.s that was released in the uk also but didn't have that single on it it would it made no fucking sense but in japan everything was on the album because you have to make it fucking worth that including 20 fucking uh singles and And remixes remixes and extra songs and b-sides that were not on the original (laughs) yeah Sounds about right. And then you can buy that on eBay and it's going to be $500. Thank you very much. (laughs) Cheeky bastards. (laughs) Two months before the release of their sophomore album, New Order put out the single To End All Singles, Mm -hmm. which probably helped their album sell as high as it did because everybody wanted the single on the album and it wasn't. (laughs) Fooled ya. Fooled ya, bitches. Look, most people know New Order for two songs and the first one's Blue Monday. Uh Uh-huh. It was supposed to be a nothing burger of a song, but due to their never-ending desire to experiment, they ended up making this taste jam that the world still fucking loves today. Yeah. And let's be honest, most millennials know it because of Orgy. Yeah. Sad emoji. Our weird brother, Orgy. <laughs> <laughs> our weird older brother that just like our sits weird in brother, his room all day. Comma, orgy, not our weird brother, Orgy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comma. No comma. Oh, our weird brother orgy. <laughs> so they hated doing encores and were sick of listening people ask for them. So they wanted to create a song where they could simply walk on stage, hit the sequencer to start the song, and then just walk back off. Yeah. Yeah, you can pretty much do that with that. Cheeky L- bastards. First two fucking minutes of that song. Honestly. Don't have to do shit. Again, heavily influenced by the music around them, from Donna Summer to composer Ennio Morricone to Sylvester, Klein, and NBO. Fuck ton of inspiration here. Oh, yeah. You can tell the direct influence from disco into this new wave song. Seriously. The sequence is very uh, flowy. Very. Peter and Bernard worked with synths and guitar to write melodies and bass lines, Steve and Jillian worked on the percussion and sequencer. Eventually, they ended up with a seven-minute track that they were quite proud of. The fucking hangs dong. It does. It hangs a lot of dong. So Blue much Monday dong. hangs dong. It hangs so much dong. It's That is like a dong. I, I don't know if I can fit that. 
I can't fit that. You dong. gotta let it hang, cause it hangs dong. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to really just get me real relaxed for this. <laughs> you may have noticed that nowhere in the song do they say the words Blue Monday. Sure don't. See, where did that name come from? Mm. Apparently, two places. Bernard was reading Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions, aka Goodbye to Blue Monday. Of course, it's Kurt Vonnegut. At least it's not Charles Bukowski. That's all I can ask for. Fair enough. And Peter was a big fan of the song Blue Monday by Fats Domino. So they were just like, oh, wow. Well. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, what? <laughs> well, they just ripped that off. Okay, yeah. sure, fine. But it's not at all the same song. Not at all, but like, all right. All right. They initially tested it out in the Hacienda, because of course you would. And they found it to be a truly unifying track. Everyone loved it no matter what their usual musical preference was. This crossed all the borders. And you know what? I'm going to say, even if you go to a show and it's like the weirdest fucking mix of people, weirdest mix of fucking bands, like the time we went to see Avatar, but like we didn't go to see Avatar, we went to see Devin Townsend, and then we also like saw Dance with the Dead and none of those bands make sense together. No. But if they had played Blue Monday Everybody would be raging. Everybody. Everybody everybody on that goddamn floor whether you were 30-something or 17 would have been like, yeah, fuck. Fuck yeah. Fuck this song. Yeah. This song hangs dong. This song hangs dong. Oh my god. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Well, shit. You heard it here first, folks. Or maybe you didn't. They're like, yeah, we know this song fucks. It's fine, guys. Yeah, yeah, this song fucks. It does. Mainly DJs and producers were blown away from what they were hearing. It was if New Order found this missing link to the next step of electronica. These four straight white kids from Manchester were making music that was straight out of the nightclub scene that was home to many LGBTQ Fuck and yeah. people of color. Indeed it was. Like... They talk about it in the podcast. Like, these people are just like, how the fuck are these guys doing this sound? Like, yeah. this is, like, not... What? All right. And, and they fucking loved it. Everybody loved it. Blue Monday charted all around the world, reaching within the top 10 of most countries. And it's been remixed and re-released a bunch of times. And it always lands in the top 100. Mm-hmm. It is the best-selling single in the UK. Hangs song. Despite things going well for New Order, they were still pretty bad off financially. I know that sounds weird. <laughs> no way. I know. That is not a trend that we ever talk about with any of the bands we, we discuss. The 80s. Am I right? <laughs> Such prosperity. Things didn't help once the tax man discovered some of the ill practices held at the Hacienda. Oh, no. When a worker from HM Customs, which means Her Majesty's Customs. I never knew that. <laughs> Fucking brain. Wait. Is like that's Thatcher like, like souping up cars or some shit? Yes. <laughs> Pimp my ride, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> do it. Yeah. Oh, she wouldn't. She would do such a bad job. She'd be like, this is a sensible oh, vehicle. I got this. I got this Honda CRX. Pimp my ride, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> oh, first of all, the red colors just too much. We're going white. <laughs> white everything. That's classy. <laughs> Anyway, so when a worker from HM Customs came to collect the books, someone working in the office accidentally gave him the cash books. And that's the ones that actually point out who's getting paid under the table and how much. Oh, no. Instead of like, you know, the official books. (gasps) 
You fucked up. Oh, they fucked up. Oh, they fucked up. They fucked up. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a TikTok moment right there. Mm, honey. Mm. <laughs> and that was it for everyone. From New Order to the factory, the government dug a little deeper and discovered numerous forms that were not even filled out. Like, between, like, New Order and the factory for, like, contract reasons. Yeah. It's fucking mess. Oh, who did that? All of them. Did they get fucking drop kicked into the Thames to never be seen again? Because they deserve it. Yeah, it was just a bunch of, like, clearly green-ass, like, musicians and quote-unquote managers... Who just, just derping their lives away. Exactly. Holy and then the shit. government discovers you've been doing this all wrong. Wow. And I will say this will come to bite them in the ass again later. Um, you think? This will bite them in the ass for years. Wow. They would end up paying hundreds of thousands in fines for unpaid taxes and some small, small scale shady business practices. You know, like remember how I mentioned New Order's performance fee went right back in the Hacienda? Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't do that. I mean, yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah. Like, they don't even see their own money. Like, that's not how that's supposed to work. I mean, you should at least cut them a check and then they just give it right back. Yeah, yeah. That's Because that's... that means they don't pay taxes on it. Yeah. Mm. They even got stuck paying a fine for Joy Division t-shirts. But what was fucked is they don't even make merch. Their fans made the merch. But because the tax man just saw that these shirts even existed, they're like, nope, I've seen these shirts. You have to pay for this. Oh, that's fucked. That was fucked up. They're like, we don't make merch. Fuck you, Queen Elizabeth. I don't know how you have anything to do with this, but fuck you. I mean, fuck royalty. We can always say fuck the royal family. At this point, the band probably should have stopped and asked why all of this was mismanaged so poorly. Just ask why in general. Nobody stopped and said but why? <laughs> but see, Rob, their manager, is usually on tour with the band, not only booking their tours, but actually going on their tours with them. Mm-hmm. To make sure everything goes right? I mean, yeah, definitely that was a part of it. Rob's a people person, too. Like, he could just make connections and make friends with people. He was a good guy to have on the road. Okay. But also, they never debated it because Rob was one of their really close friends. He was basically an unofficial fifth member. You know, it's like the Beatles had Brian Epstein. New Order had Rob. I was going to say, NSYNC had Lou Pearlman. Nobody ever wants Lou Pearlman. (laughs) No. No. He is not a Lou Pearlman. He is a Neil Epstein. Neil? Brian. Brian Epstein. How much meat have you had? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. But maybe he should have spent a little more time managing and a little less time on coke because financially New Order was not doing great. Yeah, I mean, the coke can fuck up a lot of shit. Again, 80s, coke, holy shit. Yeah. Around this time, they garnered the interest of manager Tom Atencio in the U.S. And they all met up to discuss having him manage them for business just in the States and getting them onto Quincy Jones's label, Quest Records, a subsidiary of Warner, for the distribution in America. Mm-hmm. So they're still on the factory. Okay. But like as far as America stuff goes, Tom and Quest would handle all of that. Yes. And he negotiated a one record deal. So if things didn't work out, they wouldn't be obligated to stay on. That's amazing. Uh-huh. Because that never happens. Nope. Uh. And while they were making more money... 
they were in such financial debt that it didn't do much to help them get back into the black. Mm-hmm. As New Order continued to re- release more albums, it was getting to a point where they had completely strayed from that post-punk sound and were definitively dance music. Mm-hmm. Again, like, they still have the dark tones, but they're dance. Yeah. And this was pretty obvious with the other song that everybody knows them for, Bizarre Love Triangle. Yes. Like, I always forget how fucking good that song is That's until it great fucking s- just snaps on and you're like, oh, yeah. This fucking song is amazing. Yeah. Especially when you're really drunk. Oh my God. And, you're and that dancing. comes on and you're like, this song is fucking great. I'm dancing. Yeah. And like Blue Monday, the title never shows up in the lyrics. It does concern someone involved in a love triangle and trying to parse through the feelings of excitement and confusion that come along with it. But yeah, nowhere does it actually say Bizarre Love Triangle. That's fine. That's fine, though. The title of a song does not have to be in the lyrics. Period. New Order did not do that. That's fine. <laughs> Bizarrely enough, <laughs> this song did not get into the top 40 when it was first released in the 80s. Okay. It was a song that really had to earn its accolades in rec- retrospect. Mm-hmm. The song is off their fourth album, Brotherhood. So for once, they actually had a single on their fucking album. Oh, wow. I know. And they purposefully set this album to have two very different sides. The first being more rock acoustic sounding and the second being more electronic. In retrospect, they aren't too confident that they worked as well as they wanted it to. But it's a fucking great album. As they crept further into the 80s. New Order began to feel the stressors tug at them more and more. Rob's cocaine addiction had gotten to a point where it was affecting band business. Oh, no. And then Bernard was becoming an absolute prima donna, especially when Rob went into rehab. So he had to leave the band for a bit. And then Bernard's basically like, I'm going to kind of slowly take over this shit. Oh, Bernie. Yeah, Bernie. Barney was always somewhat of a joy kill, throwing tantrums on tour, showing up as late as he pleased, making everyone else miserable because he was miserable. And when (sighs) Rob was out for a bit, he began to act as if he was the band manager and everyone was just starting to get fed up with each other. It's the 80s, cocaine, alcohol, everyone fucking hates each other. Attitudes. Attitudes. It's the 80s. They're getting ruined like every adult did in the 80s. Peter felt like they were slowly pushing him out as he wanted to keep the bass as the primary melody maker. And Barney wanted Jillian to take over more writing responsibility. They stopped jamming like they used to and recording was becoming more of a chore. Okay. In order to get a bit of a change of scenery from the dreary recording studios that they had been dealing with all around London, New Order decided to record in Ibiza where they were heavily influenced by the sounds of Balearic club music. Mm-hmm. So the beats that they were putting out were extra dancey, and Peter was getting more frustrated as they strayed farther from being a rock band. Oh. So, like... It was great, but also not great. Exactly. It's yeah. like it It was a Band-Aid over a gushing wound. Isn't it funny how, like, bands go to the Bahamas, and it seems like a great place to be, but everything just fucking implodes? Yeah. I mean, you go to the Bahamas because you need to relax, but you need to relax because you haven't dealt with shit. Yeah. That's exactly what the Mamas and the Papas did. They were like, everything's shit. Let's go to the Bahamas and record an album. Yeah. Let's let's fix this by going to the Bahamas. Yeah. And then everything goes to shit because everybody cheats on everybody else. Yeah, it wasn't my it's it's fine. Everything's a nightmare. 
It's fine. In addition, they weren't even recording together, choosing instead to go to the studio whenever they pleased to just fill in their parts. So oh, they're not no. even working cohesively anymore. Mm-mm. It didn't affect the final project, surprisingly. In 89, they released their fifth album, Technique. And in the following year, they did this, the theme for the World Cup, a single called World in Motion, which, like all World Cup songs, became one of the biggest hits. I mean, because like... It's World Cup. Yeah. Except in the States because we don't we don't like footy. Because we're stupid and we don't like the football. We don't do the footy here. We do the pigskin. Yeah, we do we do the dumb one where you just crash your heads into each other and get concussions that you can never recover from. And then, you know, the organization denies that they exist. Shut up, Ashley. Football is so much fun and like my fantasy team is gonna do real good this year. It's an American tradition. Mark. My well, let's throw tea into the harbor and make that a tradition, okay? I'd do that. However, you know what America does like? We like John Denver. And he- <laughs> <laughs> we, we do. America loves John Denver. <laughs> we love our problematic people. Yeah, we do. Um, he, however, did not like the song Run off of the album. Why? Because the guitar part definitely rips off leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> Like, I read that, and I was like, how can it... But is he right? He's right. Okay, he's right. Oh, 100% rips it off. So he sued them, and they settled out of court. Okay. I just thought that was a funny little tidbit. I get that. You know what? I mean, when it comes to his actual music, John Denver is kind of a genius. When it comes to his personal life, oh boy, is he a train wreck. Yikes. The 90s were, well, a lot for New Order. As they were for everybody. Yeah. Still as bad as the 80s, but what is? Getting better. Slowly. Maybe. I don't know. In 92, they saw their label, Factory Records, go under after filing for bankruptcy. Well, I mean, when somebody shares your under the books. Under the books. Under the books books. (laughs) Out of the books books. Bad books. Bad books. Then that's, you know, when shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah. Nothing's been great for them. Years of poor management and their two biggest bands spending a lot on their upcoming albums um didn't do great for them. 100% thought you said porn management. I mean, no, porn prime manages better than these kids. If they only did porn there, they, they probably made a little more money. <laughs> would have been open for longer. Yeah. I mean, New Order spent a lot of money on their album, but like would make up for it. Yeah. And they were also managing Happy Mondays, who put out an <laughs> atrocious fourth album and... That was not great for them. Oh, no. They were in talks to be bought out by London Records. However, it fell through when they discovered that because, like I mentioned before, the factory was terrible with paperwork, Mm -hmm. the rights to Joy Division and New Order was not actually owned by them, but by the band. Wait. They owned their own songs and didn't even know it. This is a happy accident? Yeah. No shit. This is the first time in fucking the history of Rock Candy yeah. that the band owned their own rights and didn't even know it. Because their management was that fucking incompetent. So they weren't even getting paid the way that they should have, considering they were owning their own rights? They weren't getting paid in any way they should have. <laughs> like, that's like, just like one of the many ways they weren't getting paid properly. Oh, my God. Yeah. So... New Order went to London and came the end of an era. Wow. Yeah. 
The band felt the loss. You know, no matter how scattered things were at the factory, they were always really supportive of their musicians. Mm -hmm. And, like, it sucked, you know, and their friends were there and they cared about the people and they did care about the company. So it was just a weird end of an era for them. And the Hacienda, surprise, surprise, also having issues. No, no way. (laughs) See, at this point, lots of drugs were passing through. No shit. Yeah. (laughs) And they even had to deal, apparently, with an ecstasy-related death inside the club. But I looked this up and I'm like, can you die of ecstasy? And I don't know if you can, but it might have been an allergic reaction to ecstasy. I don't know, but a 16-year-old girl died in the club. I don't know, Maggie, but can you die from raging too hard? Can you die from (laughs) having too much fun? Can you die from just, like, fucking raging all night? Yeah, you probably can. Maybe. I don't, I don't think she even raged all night. I think she, she probably like, had a fucking heart attack. I think she had an allergic reaction to the to the Probably. Pill. Yeah. Yeah. It was or very it was sad like, and very unfortunate. Or it was laced with something it shouldn't have that's been also laced possible. with. And that's on the drug dealer's part. Either way, not a cute look for the Hacienda. No. They actually had to close down for a bit until they could like beef up their own security. But obviously, reliable security was short-lived, and shootings actually became commonplace. Oh. Yeah, in and around the establishment. Um, they also struggled to make money as more people were doing drugs instead of buying alcohol, which is, <laughs> we all know is, like, that's how most places make money. Yeah. So Unless your bartenders start actually dealing drugs also. Yeah, and, and giving that money. And giving that money to the club, which doesn't fucking happen. Rarely. Yeah. So they weren't really making the monies. Shit was just falling apart. By 1997, the Hacienda's doors would be closed forever. Mm-hmm. But this checks. Back in 92, between the factory and the Hacienda not doing great financially, New Order was feeling the pressure to make another album and try to make enough money to save both of these places. Which was harder and harder by the day as the band was really just growing to dislike each other, especially Barney. Yeah, but yeah. also it's not their job to save these things. It's not, but you know how that that can go when you have financial investment and interest in those things. God, and clearly, like your friends are all. It's unhealthy relationships just all around here. Clearly, none of these people were Capricorns or Leos. You know, I'd have to go check that out. The I'm just fan. assuming they're all just Pisces. Probably it's fine. <laughs> Pisces, Cancer, Gemini. Yeah, mm, maybe a Virgo in there. Yeah, but I feel like a Virgo would take the lead and know what the fuck to do. Mm. But if you're managing a circus, you can only get so far. You can only be the ringleader. Mm-hmm. Everyone was drinking and drugging, mostly Coke. Mm-hmm. And Bernard had basically taken full control of the band and the recording sessions. They never saw each other in the studio. And for a handful of songs off of the 1993 album Republic, Peter, Steve, and Jillian were basically erased from the tracks. Oh. Because Bernard cool. was going to be like, oh, just did some stuff on them. It's fun. Whatever. At this point, they were over it. Barney and Pete both had side projects already, and Stephen and Jillian started one called The Other Two. Oh, I know. They're cute. Are they still together? Yes, they got married. Oh, they got is... married, had some kids. Good for them. Oh, just you wait. Oh, not good for them? Good for them. Okay. I'll keep that. To a point. I'll keep that. Just hold on. Hold on to your butt. Uh-huh. That cheek, that'll, that'll fall out in a minute. Okay. So five years passed and New Order was still inactive. 
And so this is like, now we hit the late 90s. Rob's pretty heartbroken over the closing of the Hacienda. So in 98, he got the band back together to ask them to do some tours. It's just saying, you know, there's some good money in it. And they were all struggling with money because, again, like, they got fucked over financially by everything. And that's how you make your money. And, like, I mean, I think Pete was still pretty addicted to coke. And, like, Bernie definitely had a fucking alcohol problem. So due to all these poor financial decisions of the past, they could use some of the funds. Mm -hmm. So they did some touring just to see if any spark could be relit. And as it turns out, time heals wounds and everyone got on pretty well. That's good. Yeah. They looked at it like a new chapter for the band. They were even making an interesting choice to start performing Joy Division songs at concerts. So they're like, all right, all right. Things are gelling. They're jamming again. And they discussed perhaps making a new album. Unfortunately, the man who brought them all together twice would not be around to see it come to fruition. What? Devoted manager Rob Gretton died May 1999 of a heart attack. Oh. He didn't take very good care of himself. Yeah, it didn't sound like it. But he was a good guy who meant well. New Order mourned and perhaps felt a little more of a push to get a new album out. So in 2001, they would release Get Ready and dedicate it to Rob. It's kind of crazy how a lot of managers of this era really work themselves and party just as hard yes. as the man or as the actual bands did. Seriously. And they were like a lot of these, a lot of bands had a quote unquote fifth member who was their manager. Right. So yeah, it was very commonplace. It's probably not as much anymore. I assume not, but, but I, I guess it really depends on the band. Probably. Get Ready was more of a return to rock. They still kept their electronica in there, but guitars were once again heavily featured It was also the first time in a while that they enjoyed working together in the studio. This album felt like a great success to New Order. So they wanted to tour in support of it. Mm -hmm. Except here's where the butt cheeks fallen out. Oh. There was a complication for Stephen and Jillian. Their daughter was seriously ill with transverse mellitus. What? It's apparently a spinal cord disease or spinal disease. Oh, that fucked. I don't know if she was permanently paralyzed or temporarily paralyzed, but she Mm -hmm. was paralyzed for a while, apparently. She was paralyzed. Again, not sure if it was forever or temporarily, but she was paralyzed. Sounds like a cross between, like, meningitis and stenosis. Uh, I did not read too much into this. (laughs) So if y'all know, please tell us. Yeah. So going on a tour just seemed downright irresponsible. I mean, she has this life-threatening illness. What are they going to do? Bring her on tour? Right. So they made the decision that Steve would go and Jillian's going to stay and care for their daughter. Okay. And this was a very painful decision for her. On top of the touring that she missed out on, they once again went into the studio, but this time without Jill. They replaced her with Phil Cunningham. But the real kicker was the fact that they would record at an in-home studio that was built on their farmhouse property. So she would be forced to have to listen what? to them every day and know she wasn't a part of it. Wait, but why couldn't she just go and do her parts if like, he could come back and take care of their daughter? Because they were working hard and she had to take care of this. Like This is like 24 around-the-clock like, care of the no, daughter. No, I get that, but like... Oh, they I could switch oh, off. Oh, why can't like the man take a break and like go take care of their sick daughter instead yeah. of the woman? Not really quite sure, Ashley. This is probably a question for the patriarchy. That is new order. Cause hold on, son of a bitch. Hold on. 
One more thing before I get into a thing. And I know we're really late in this episode. It's just going to be long. You're going to get mad. Mm-hmm. So I'm already mad. So another thing. Homegirl was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2007. Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding? She has since made a full recovery. She's still alive. She's still doing great. Good for her. But, you know. With any help from her husband? Took a, t- she took a very long break from being in a band to take care of her sick daughter and herself. Now, here's where I'm a little pissy. I'm going to stray from my script for a minute. Why I don't really like Peter Hook that much. Uh-huh. He does nothing but badmouth her in the book. He says she didn't do a lot. She shouldn't have gotten paid as much. Oh, she didn't I'm carry sorry. Because How Bernard come, wrote all of her parts. Of a bitch. And then in one part, they were ta- apparently Bernard and Peter were talking about asking Jillian to write more. And then Peter said to Bernard, yeah, but if you don't write, she's going to have to. And we can't do that to Stephen. Like, as if to say she's not a good enough writer. And then he would complain that she shouldn't be making as much money as she is. And like, all this shit. And I got to say... I have tried, and if anybody wants to contradict whatever I'm saying, I tried to find people, like, saying that maybe she didn't carry her weight. Or maybe I did she not, was a shit person. Or, or maybe just, not even a shit person, but just a shitty musician. Um, And I did not read Bernard's book, so I don't, I gotta admit, I don't know what he says to this. I kind of don't really care. Yeah, he probably agrees. But basically... Everything that I found about Jillian praises her on A, being a woman in man's world, mm-hmm. B, like being a, some someone that women can look up to, like mm-hmm. doing so much work to like sequence and make all the music happen properly and like the electronic stuff. still having stuff. men being like, you're not doing enough. Yeah. And then they basically like kick her out of the band because her daughter's deathly ill and then she's deathly ill. Gonna go out on a limb and say... She's fine. Yeah. These dudes can go fuck themselves. Are butthurt. Yeah. That she has other shit to do that doesn't require her paying attention to them. Well, I just love how it's like Peter Hook even says in his fucking book, it's like, oh, we could have asked her to write more music, but we didn't want to because we didn't think she was good enough. Oh, are you not merciful? Thank you so much, Emperor Commodus, for being so fucking merciful as to spare her. Just the time it takes to work so much when she and her daughter are deathly fucking ill. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So I really don't like Peter Hook that much anymore. I think he strikes me as like kind of like a sexist asshole. That is so misogynistic. I can't even. That might take the fucking award for the most misogynistic bullshit I have ever heard. In, in Rock in history? the four fucking years that we have done this fucking podcast, oh. the Beatles could not imagine this kind of misogyny. <laughs> John Lennon is rolling in his grave. John Lennon is a goddamn saint compared to these fuck-offs. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I didn't warn you that you were going to get real angry at one point, but here we are. So angry. I will no, I will come back God. around to this in another minute. But okay. it is interesting how it's like, you know, oh, if there's not an or- a member of New Order, or I'm sorry, not a member of Joy Division, we won't continue as Joy Division. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't that stand for New Order? Or does it only mm. not stand when it goes for Jillian? But I'll come back around to this. Okay. Hold on. So she out of the band? Not permanently. Okay. Just for a minute. While working on Waiting for the Sirens Call, which was their next album... 
Bernard got back into his old habits of recording without anyone around and messing with the tracks to be what they wanted, what he wanted them to be. And once again, he and Peter just couldn't get along. Peter was touring just for the money at this point. And there are conflicting stories here that Barney said he wanted to jam, but Peter was too busy DJing instead. And then that's all just a lot of like, it's just a lot of he said, he said. Like, oh, I feel like I at the core, care. I know, I feel like at the core of New Order is just Barney, or I'm sorry, Barney and Pete just like two whiny <laughs> fucking bitches <laughs> bitching at each other. You like well, that's all it sounds like, but he didn't want to do it, so we didn't do it. Like, but then he didn't want to do it, so I didn't do it. You do it. It's like, <laughs> oh my fucking it's so god! So fucking, I can't. In May 2007, Peter was on a serious XM radio show talking about like some completely different side project he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody mentioned the prospect of no doing some more new order came up, and he claimed that he will no longer work with Bernard Sumner. Okay. And well, that was news to everyone else because they were like, oh, I didn't know that. He never told anyone. So a few months later, New Order released a statement saying that Peter Hook had left. So New Order was, done. was split by default. Okay. Bernard, Stephen, and Phil started another band called Bad Lieutenant. And Peter would start his own band called Peter and the Bad Lights. Bad Lieutenant. Bad is Lieutenant. That, is that after this? Charles Bronson movie. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know, but I bet it is. Ah, that's great. They love okay, Charlie you know what? Fucking have at it, my dudes. <laughs> well, everyone was quite surprised in 2011 when New Order announced they would be making a comeback. I How- didn't even know they were going this far. Oh, I know. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. oh, keep had no idea. Um, however, this would be Sans Peter Hook, which okay. then was news to Peter Hook. Oh, okay. Instead, they would replace him with the bassist from their other band, and his name's Tom Chapman. They released some B-sides from their previous albums called Lost Sirens, and boy, did this get Peter real upset, because Peter was part of those recordings. Oh, I'd be pissed, too. So I they, there was, like, a whole bunch of copyright issues after its release, uh-huh. and, like, a bunch of dealings and legal dealings with that. But that wouldn't be the worst of it, though. In 2015, Peter discovered that his former bandmates restructured New Order's finances, and it saw Peter getting a lesser amount of royalties, which that is fucked up. That's real fucked up, though. Yeah, because he helped write those songs just as much as anybody. But does it mean Jillian gets more money? I don't actually know a lot of the... Yeah. The fucking You don't know whatever. what that Excel spreadsheet looked like. I have no idea what that Excel spreadsheet looks like. Okay. I assume everyone except Peter got a fair share. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's suing them, then they're countersuing him for singing Joy Division songs at his concerts, which can be kind of fucked, but I don't know where the but legalities go. But when it's, when it's live and not recorded know. for resale, Why? like, who cares? It doesn't, you have Why? no legal jurisdiction Anyway, there. so there, again, it's just a lot of me, 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 me at each yeah. other. And okay. I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Yep. Shut up and play Blue Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of legal stuff here. It gets super messy. It eventually all gets settled out in 2017. But woof, is there bad blood still there? So the scattered bandmates don't really see any kind of reunion with all the parties ever shaking out. Peter is quite vitriolic about how poorly Bernard, Stephen, and Jillian have treated him, which is fair. But like, homeboy is basically like, I will do anything I can to ruin their lives. And at one point said... They're lucky I have a wife because I would do more than sue them. And I'm like, dude, you need to fuck. Like, there's a part of me that feels like, 
I get you're pissed and you have every reason to be, but I also feel like the common denominator here looks like you. you. But also, um, it's never too late to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really don't need to destroy anybody's life because they're making probably just as much money as you are. Or maybe they're not. Well, or maybe they're making more. I don't know. Who gives a shit? I don't know. Like, you got books, my dude. You can figure it out somehow else. It sounds to me like it's a lot of, and it's probably mostly Bernard and Peter mm-hmm. just being stubborn assholes. And now, like, I'm kind of at this point with New Order where I look at them and I'm like, you're all kind of a bunch of whiny assholes, aren't you? <laughs> Except for Steven and Jillian. Like, they seem fine. We're just hell-bent on screwing people over and, like, I can't really respect you for that I because really, you, yeah. you fucked people over in a really shitty way that is kind of unforgivable. Yeah. So I got to try to go back to, like, the core of the message of this whole story. Because, like, damn, I started off at one spot with this story and I'm at a completely different one. So I will just try to tie it up with kind of, I think, the way to generally look at the story of New Order. Mm -hmm. They're still putting out music. Last year they released a single called Be a Rebel. All of them? Not with Peter. Okay. The current lineup of New Order, where they basically needed, like, two people to replace Peter. Is it really... New order, and that's without Peter. And that's the thing too. It's like, well, you were more like Peter was all like, "Oh, how dare they go on with New Order without me?" I'm like, "Well, you went on without Jillian." True. You know, like, yeah, they're all like, I don't know. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. I will say, "Be a Rebel" is actually a pretty good song. Okay, it's fine. It came out last year. It was nice. Um, it's unfortunate that they're no longer together as the original quartet, but. Even though there has been some real shit slinging between everyone, that doesn't take away from the amazing impact of their music. Mm-hmm. From the very first Joy Division concert to the chords they're creating for the next New Order single, it's just got fucking ripple effect. At its heart, New Order is the story of a band that shouldn't have happened. If Ian lived, it's likely they could have broken up, or if they stayed together, they may have continued down a bit more electronic path, but it would look really different. Mm-hmm. Instead of calling it quits, the three boys added a woman to their group and took it upon themselves to learn how to engineer synth music when it was still in its infancy. They set out to be completely different from the get-go. And we would not have pop and electronica music the way we have it today without their determination and curiosity. For what it's worth, at the end of the day, New Order should still be looked at as the gold standard of making pop music the way you want it and making it good and quality and not compromising. Hmm. They may be assholes, but Blue Monday's a jam. <laughs> Bizarre love triangle. Is, come yeah, on. Is it worth like separating the art from the artists at this point? Yes. I would say yes. Yes. This is a 100% like no contest. I can separate the art from the artist from this. Yeah. Because they're only hurting each other. It's yeah. like of a fuck. I'm like, fine. You guys want to be little babies about your fucking angriness? Yeah. Fine fine but so they're very angry and it's fine it's not my problem arguably it's not anybody's problem exactly it's just theirs yeah yeah and you know what that's fine don't learn about your heroes is what i'm learning <laughs> they weren't my heroes yeah it's fine. i mean yeah kill your idols i guess that is pretty much what we're going for pretty much yeah. every time because they're not perfect people guys no they are very imperfect and i'm sure like Steven has a book. Bernard has a book. Like, everybody's got a book about it, and they all have a different story to tell. 
I know I just got mine primarily from Peter. Again, that was just because I like the Joy Division book a lot. Well, you learned your lesson there. I learned my lesson there. <laughs> I will I will stand by um, Unknown Pleasures is a great book, and I yeah. highly suggest anyone curious about Joy Division, read it. Substance, eh. It's lacking. It does get better as the book goes on. Like, mm-hmm. about halfway through, he gets a little less like, let me tell you about all these girls I fucked. And yeah. it's more like, oh, like, here's Because arguably like, has dealings. less girls to fuck the second half. Oh, I no. Guess. He didn't stop fucking around oh, until, like, he got him. married or something. Good for him. Oh, for the third time? I don't know. Gonna say he probably didn't stop before that or after that, so. I don't know. It's fine. You know what? None of my fucking business. I'm gonna sure. salt and pepper that shit. Mm-hmm. It's none of your business. And if he want to take a girl home with him tonight, it's none of my business. Yeah. It's not. Anyway, so that's the story of New Order. It was longer than I expected it to be. But a lot happens. It was a very long time. I had to interject with a lot of eye rolls and Well, comments. I forgot to warn you that I was going to piss you off. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I was like, oh, right. The Jillian stuff. You're going to get yeah. angry in five, four, three. Two. It just reminds me of the talking heads shit. It is, though. It is. And I was thinking about that today, too. I'm like, Tina Weymouth gets super fucking, like... They always get fucked. They're, like, the most consistent and happy to do whatever band members, but they always get the short end of the stick because they're fucking women. And How because, like, dare they? the men in the group are so fucking full of themselves yeah. that they have to be like, oh, they well, didn't do anything. We're the geniuses. They didn't do anything. They Even were though just... they're the workhorses that make the music no, fucking happen. Ashley, they just put them in there so they, like, look, a woman can hold a guitar. Look how progressive we are. Oh. oh, my God. We're so progressive. We put a woman here to make us look more interesting. Are we great? We're great. I'm so sick of it. We're I'm the, so sick of 80s new wave of fans history. thinking that they're hot shit because they allowed a woman to be in there but didn't oh. allow her to actually make a fucking song. Anyway, so I digress. They, they gave the thumbs up. I digress. Yeah, I guess they gave the commonest thumbs up. <laughs> anyway, I need to I need to walk away from that because I'm okay. just going to get mad again. But yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you learned something or got angry with us. I don't know. But we love you and appreciate you. And if you got mad with us, thank you for agreeing with us. <laughs> yeah, right. And if you didn't get mad, um, I don't know. I'm Look at your life. Look at your choices. Well, I could always be like, I don't know. Maybe I got something wrong. Tell me. You can always email us. Contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. <laughs> do it. You won't do it. You can hit up our website, find our social medias, follow us on the things. And uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Go check out some old episodes. You can get our merch also. Yeah, a tea public. A tea public. I fucking did it. <laughs> and you can get some really cute shit there, and uh, it's nice. It is nice. Some cute little cute little t-shirts. Our dumb little heads drawn by my friend Chris. Yeah, he did a really great job. You should buy that shit. Our sweet logo. Yeah, or just wrinkle dingle them. Oh, there's a wrinkle dingle them too. There's a wrinkle dingle them. Mm. And also, if you feel like. Giving us some cash schmeckles. That'd be cool. We have Do a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rock Candy Podcast. If you don't, that's fine too. But anybody who did, you're getting a boner episode soon. And we actually just put out a, oh, a really sweet fucking video. Yeah, of, of us, us trying. Reviewing uh, James Kegel's mayonnaise's uh, wines and mead. Wines and mead. It goes well and it also goes tits up. So. Like most things for rock candy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Beautiful. It's, we take you on a journey. 
Yes. How's about that? We take you on our journey that we went. But it's a video, so you get to see our dumb faces. Yay, our dumb faces. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so come on in next week. We'll have another tasty tale for you. But until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie's. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Meow, 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 meow,